I am your host, Raquel Ark, an American podcasting from Germany, and this is Listen In. Join this series of conversations with inspiring scientists, leaders, and authors about listening as a surprising superpower that is not always as easy as it seems. Believe me, I know, and I've been learning and will continue to learn, and I hope that this podcast will help you find practical ways to help others listen better while you become better at leading people, catalyzing collaboration, transforming conflict, building trust and engagement. And I'll tell you, when really good listening happens, then the entire group, including you, can feel energized and inspired. So sit back and enjoy listening beyond what we typically think of. What does it mean to listen with your heart, not just your head? And how does this help us to work at a deeper level and impact real change in diversity, equity, and inclusion? Dr. Terry Varner is an academic visionary, currently an associate professor of communication at St. Edwards University in Austin, Texas. She shares her transformational story the first time she experienced being listened to by a circle of women, and they listen to her with their heart. Terry has a lot of experience teaching in communication theory, nonverbal communication, public speaking, and active listening. And she's also done a lot of research, and her current research is looking at metacognitive listening strategies. Terry is devoted to teaching students how to actively listen in the 21st century. She's like one of those instructors who walks the talk, and she shares how. In this episode, Terry also talks about how when we're given the opportunity to use our voice, how we can use it to its full capacity to help each other, to speak up for what is right and just. She highlights about how we need to give listening the time and space necessary to dig deep into where the other person is coming from for a deeper understanding. I am sure you're going to enjoy this conversation with Terry. Enjoy listening in. Welcome, Terry, to the Listen In podcast. It's a pleasure to have you with me here today. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm very excited. Thank you for having me. So... Terry and I met through the International Listening Association, and I just love you, Terry. I think you're really cool and doing some great things. So I'm, I'm excited to talk to you a little bit more about that. Before we go into more about your work around listening and what you're doing at the university, I usually ask the guest one question, and that is, do you remember a moment where you, you where listening really stuck out for you, whether and you started to notice it, the power of it, whether it was working or it wasn't working. Wow. I think that could be my entire life, <laughs> to be honest with you. I thought about a number of moments, you know, I think moments are are here and there, and there are certain things that that stand out. But to be honest with you, the first time that I really became cognizant of the significance or the importance of listening. It was in back in 2000, the year 2000, my mom 
had said, hey, you know, Terry, there's this, you know, empowerment of women, you know, kind of a workshop, you know, and she's like, I'll pay for it. Would you like to go? Well, you know, of course, I'm like, it's paid for. I'm like, of course, I'm going to go. And it's my mom. The second thing. And it was a workshop that was sponsored by Carol, Carol McCall. And it was like the Listening Institute or something like that. And it was like a two or three days. And there was actually several different workshops that I ended up going to. But the initial one that I remember the most was in 2000, my first one. And it was just this circle of women that were coming together from all across the world, actually. And that was a a plus. Just talking about communication aspects and the key component or the key variable was this idea of of listening listening with your not just your your head but really listening with your heart and I was like huh that's new right I don't think I'd ever what does that mean listening with your heart I'm like I'm like it sounds you know it sounds really cool and new agey right and and yeah so this workshop was basically teaching women how to pay attention to their whole bodies as they were encountering especially difficult conversations was to listen from a different kind of positioning and it was mostly that when she said you know listening with your heart I was like wow it was a shift I I really remembered that part and it was just like everybody had you know these moments where you would be in the chair in the center um, and everybody was else around you but it was like you were in the center and then like Carol was you know at the center and like all eyes were on you but it was really kind of like she'd ask you questions about you know something kind of similar like when was the first time you felt like you weren't heard like some people were just hearing you but they weren't really paying attention to you and it was that was a it was a huge shift I remember let's being like I want to do this kind of work growing up um (laughs) So your mom, it was well invested. Yeah. (laughs) Your mom was a a pioneer in her time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, so you remember this moment and it was, you know, a group of women and they said, listen with your heart. And you just described a situation where you were the one being listened to in that moment. And everyone around you was listening to you with their heart. And yet you're like, what is this? Right. And you said that that moment was also a transformational moment for you. How, so like in that moment where you were being listened to from other people's hearts, uh, did you notice in that moment? I did. I did. Like I said, you know, it felt, well, I knew for one, I was in a safe place. Like I just trusted the process. I trusted what Carol was teaching all of us. I mean, there are other people that were that were training, but I was there as a participant for the first time. And you could tell, I think we were wearing like these, you know, ribbons that said, you know, I'm a first time participant or a second time participant. So as the newbie experiencing for this, experiencing this workshop, the listening workshop for the first time with other women talking about you know, what it's like to be from maybe a marginalized community where people are often dismissive. To me, the shift was, I was amazed at how well 
I was able to trust and open up and really kind of find a new place in this workshop that was exclusively about our capacity as human beings to be sympathetic, empathetic. I know empathy was a big, huge, you know, kind of a, like a, a new, it wasn't a buzzword at that time as it is now, but I was just, I just felt like I had like, like these layers lifted away and like a newfound freedom about like, I wasn't going to become as defensive. Like I knew how to cope with some of my, some of my own defensive mechanisms. In fact, one of her, one of the, the tools that she taught us was the 99 one rule. And I was like, what? There's rules. (laughs) (laughs) So I was, you know, I'm like, I can't, I mean, I just, I felt like I was a sponge just soaking it all in. And, you know, the fact that my mother was there and she already knew what I was about to experience, but this, to go back to this 99 one rule, it was like, what is this 99 one rule? And very simply it is that as a person, when you are listening and you find yourself becoming defensive, Think of that perhaps 99% of the stuff or the junk that's coming up for you is not about you at all. It's really them. Like 99% of what, what they're talking about that might be causing you what your perceived harm or like this is making you angry is 99% of it is really about them. And only 1% of it is you and you just happen to show up. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is such a great tool, right? So I don't get as defensive. I mean, I'm not, you know, perfect, but when I learned that tool, I was like, that that's amazing. I was like, that oh, helps that? to manage things yeah, a lot better. Yeah, it mm-hmm. really, really does. It really did for me. Yeah. I think it's funny, you know, you didn't know listening with your heart and all these rules. <laughs> Or tools and rules, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but somehow or other, you left there thinking, "Hey, I want to do some of that in my future. I want to, I want to work here." You know. <laughs> so, so here you are, Terry. <laughs> so here you are. <laughs> and would you imagine? Because now you are the Department of Chair of Communications at a university, right? And well, I'm, I'm no, I was the chair for, for three years. And then I was an interim chair and I stepped down. So I'm no longer the department chair we have. We hired another chair, department chair to come in. I was the depart. I was the first African-American department chair at St. Edwards like that. Like it has never, they've never had a black department chair. Chairs were relatively new. We were called like a, a department coordinator or something like that. So St. Edwards University had gone through some kind of institutional changes and administrative changes. But I was excited to be, you know, the first African-American department chair. And we were considered a mid-sized, you know, department. So it was really fascinating to be at first, you know, a faculty member. And then now all of a sudden, I'm also responsible for my colleagues and many of them were actually, you know, had been at the university before me. So it wasn't like everybody wanted to be the chair. (laughs) I was the one that volunteered. And I said, well, I'll give it a shot, right? Wow, what a learning (laughs) experience that was. (laughs) So looking back at even that learning experience, moving from faculty into 
this role of being responsible for the other human beings in your in your department. You said that was a you learned a lot. What are some key learnings that you took away from that role? I would say one of the things that I learned was to certainly expect the unexpected. I I volunteered for the job because I thought I you know I I worked well with these people with my colleagues I knew them well enough I was organized and I had their you know their confidence that I was going to lead the department into the you know whatever these next few years moving forward whatever that was going to look like and I found very quickly that no matter how organized I was that there were lots of other things going on behind the scenes that I really had no idea that as an administrator, all of a sudden I was the I was the the person that made the final call right before the dean stepped in. And that was really challenging. And I thought that, you know, it would be easy to kind of, you know, like a lot of decisions at the administrative level I I felt were gonna be, you know, kind of black and white and relatively, you know, simple kinds of calls, but there were so many moments, issues that came up that I I really struggled with. And I think the hardest part of being a department chair in academia is you can't be a people pleaser in order to do your job effectively. You just need to make decisions and go with them. And there's no manual, you know, there's no manual for that. There's, you know, there might be some you know, pamphlets here and there, some books, but it really is a very, I think I would definitely say it was probably one of the first times I had felt isolated. Like there were times when I really felt alone in making some of these decisions, even if I had the dean's the dean's support. I got a lot of blowback and I, I was surprised by that. But I was also at the same time cognizant of the fact that at times my colleagues didn't have information that I had, but I still needed to do my job. And I, you know, I did my job, but I would say it came at a cost. Um, And that was one of the reasons why I stepped down. I was like, this is, this is not what I signed up for. There's somebody else that I think could probably do a better job. And so we, we took some steps to ensure that, you know, that we hired another, another department chair, but that was really, you know, I learned some things. I'm still learning from, you know, that entire that entire process. Well, I think what you're describing is is really, you know, it's it's interesting to look at the roles that we have within the systems and how that impacts, you know, how we have to work or you know, in in a lot of it what you're describing is it has to do with how everything's set up. And so in terms of the way things work, right? And so for people I was thinking you love being with people and you work really well with people. And then to be in a position where you felt more isolated, you know, that that happens sometimes in leadership. I, you know, I wonder, I sometimes wonder, I wonder if there's other ways that would support that not always have to, not having to happen as often, you know, just, just some big thoughts from my side. Is that, the, that's the traditional way. I wonder if there's other ways that would be possible, you know? So. Well, the, what I was going to say to uh, Raquel was, you know, I, I thought I was, I thought that, you know, that listening was kind of like the band aid for everything. 
And what I was going to add on to it, I, I still do. I think that, you know, much of the miscommunication and misunderstandings that happen are that, of course, you know, there are cultural implications as well. But sometimes it may not be enough these days to just listen. That when we say that we have a background in listening, it might also be that there are times when, as a result of listening, we really need to be proactive about the information that we've just received. Um, and I know that can be really kind of dicey or controversial, but I felt, especially when I was the department chair, that that was the, that was the component that was the most complicated that, you know, I've heard, I've heard what these people are saying. I've heard, you know, what their issues and what their grievances are. Um, and then the other part of that is as a, as an administrator, it's not enough to just, oh, I've, I've heard you, I've listened to you, I have empathy for you. But there, there might also be an underdeveloped component of listening where you need to also do something positive, hopefully positive, um, with that information so that person knows that not only did were you listening to some of my concerns, but you were in a position to do something about it. Mm-hmm. You know, now I know that you do a lot of work around the area of diversity and inclusion. And when you think about that, you know, and you think about, you know, I'm sure, you know, I was just thinking, I don't know if this fits, but I was just thinking, you, you know, you hear all the challenges and stuff going on and, and also things that are happening at a lot of different levels, even, you know, individual levels, systemic levels and things like this. You know, I wonder how, how you look at, let's say, listening in relation to action, if you have some thoughts around that. Diversity, equity, inclusion, that's like a huge, like, that's like, ever since Black Lives Matter, the movement, I think in academia, everybody's been concerned about, well, how can we be more inclusive? And for those of us where our identities are quite visible. So for example, I identify as African-American. I identify as cisgender, female. Oftentimes, this idea of, well, what do we mean when we're talking about DEI? I, I have found at times it to be both kind of reaffirming of this idea that we want to include everyone, but still celebrate our uniqueness and the challenges in between that or somewhere we're, what we're calling DEI work, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, you know, because, you know, this the presence of these differences are also what makes some people kind of bristle. Like, I get it. Everybody is, have these identities that reinforce the decisions that they make, the things that they say, clothes that they wear, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And tackling a lot of these you know, larger systemic racism, microaggressions requires an understanding of, you know, what is at the heart of why these disparities within our society have become embedded in the first place. 
And for me, usually what I think we're ending up talking about is the haves and the have nots, right? We still kind of continue to, will continue to polarize one another. And, and one of, I'm glad you asked this question because the thing that, that keeps coming up for me, because I'm like, why, why is it taking us so long? Why is this so hard? Like, I get it. You know, if I was a white heterosexual male living in America and I felt that the United States is like somehow just my country, even though, you know, let's not talk about, you know, Native Americans, indigenous, you know, communities that were, that were, you know, let's not do all of that. But that the work really is why, why do I need to give up what I've worked hard for if you can't? And I, I've always just been curious about having like almost starting conversations with white men about, you know, why, why is it that you feel so, so threatened? And if I was in a position of power and asked to examine, you know, my whiteness or my heterosexuality in comparison to others, I'm just kind of left with this question of like, huh, I don't know. But I, I, I think people really struggle with this idea that that we all can get along and that we all are going to have to share our natural resources. I'm really, I think that unfortunately that for some of us, what we don't want to say is, or address the quote unquote white elephant in the room, or it's a black elephant in the room to make it really, you know, interesting, but that there are some people that fundamentally believe that they are better than others, no matter what, like, it doesn't matter how deep these conversations get or how super, that there are some people that fundamentally believe that not all of us are equal. And unfortunately, those are the typically unchecked. These are the people that are also making policies and procedures that we all have to abide by. Mm. Yeah, I think that's something that I worry a little bit about, or a lot about is, you know, the decisions that are made that that kind of have impact also at a, a political level, you know, even business level. And, and there are things that people are aware of, but sometimes it's the biases that are creating those without re- realizing the full impact of what those decisions are, you know? So, you know, it's, I feel like that's one of the things I, I follow a couple of people like on LinkedIn who are very, are writing about, you know, all different aspects in this relation. And it makes me think a lot of all, like once, once we take this serious and when we, we, we do want to take this serious, there's so many different levels and layers that we need to pay attention to. Right. And, yeah. and that's probably why it takes so long. Terry. <laughs> well, you know, it, and it brings me right back to, you know, Audre Lord, who's the self-described black lesbian mother, warrior, poet. And she, the quote that comes up for me all too af- often is, you know, when she said in her book, you know, for the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. They may allow us to temporarily beat him at his own game, but they will never enable us to bring about genuine change. And I'm like listening in these, like you were talking about, you know, on, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm chair um, for the International Listening Association. I'm chair of the Diversity Initiatives Planning Committee. And when we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, oftentimes I'm like thinking, you know, how, 
how can our listening bring about genuine change when there are some people who, like, I, I'm trying to think outside the box here and I'm like, keep running up against the same wall over and over and over again. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how do I, how do we get to, to center? How do we get to centering ourselves? If sometimes that's the prevailing, you know, sentiment that there's some people that will never change. Well, what about the other people? Right. <laughs> you know, I was, you know, one of some of the research around listening, you know, I was thinking about Abby Kluger and Guy Ishakov's their, their research showing how listening, like really effective listening. So one without judgment, being fully present and I guess using the word empathy, but, you know, just trying to understand the other person's perspective, but that, that the speaker will then become less extreme and they'll actually start to listen to themselves um, instead of trying to persuade us. And that they'll also hear their contradictory thoughts that are, that they actually have in their head. So when people are speaking, you'll often notice that there's, they contradict themselves, but a lot of times we don't hear, or we do it, everyone does it but we don't hear ourselves because we're busy trying to persuade. And so a listener can help this a person speaking to hear themselves. And then I think when they're actually listening to themselves, that's when they become less extreme and they're more open, more open <laughs> to change. But that takes deep, it takes a, the time and space, right? That takes time and space to do that. And the willingness for people to sit down and actually experience that. And I know that uh, one of the things that, you know, we've had conversations about, and you've said that, you know, how, how do we allow space and time also for listening, right? Um, because yeah. often we're in a hurry. I know that's important to you. Yeah, there's, there are basically three key takeaways. So when it comes to listening, being authentic, also making sure that that there's time for you to listen. And I wonder at times how often people are comfortable saying, you know, Raquel, I would really like to, you know, dig deeper into this conversation that we're having, but I actually have to, to leave in about five or 10 minutes. Can we, you know, pick this up later? And instead of saying something as simple as that, we'll try to pretend like, like we're in the moment being authentic when in, in fact, in reality, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I got I'm not fully present. I'm not in the moment with you. I'm, I'm not being authentic. I'm pretending that I have given you all the time in the world when in fact, I, you know, I, re I recognize that I'm not, I'm not paying attention. I'm running out of time. And I think in order to really listen, especially for people or topics that you might find upsetting, it takes time to stay in that moment. You know, we get into that fight, flight, or freeze. And that takes a lot of discipline to, to have time or to make time to listen to people. Like you and I could have you know, are having and have had great conversations because, you know, we generally know that we have time to listen to one another. 
I guess my big message, you know, from this podcast today is I would challenge people to really think about when you know that you're going to be listening to somebody and you may not even know, but when you know that you're going to be listening to somebody and they're going to be talking about a topic, probably politics, right? How polarized we are about one issue or the other, how much strength and courage it takes to be, yes, authentic and vulnerable in that moment but to really take time and allow that person to say and be and show up however they show up and you not interrupting them with your own kind of your own commentary, but to really listen and pay attention to them. And as you said earlier, you know, sometimes when this person knows that you're giving them your undivided attention, you and that other person get to witness as they go through their own contradictions about how how really messed up their thinking is. And you just sit there and you're listening to them. And it's not about, you know, right or wrong, good or, or bad. It is literally what it is. And I've always hated when my mother said that when um, I found out she was Buddhist and she, I was like, oh, that explains so much. But it is. It really is what it is. It is nothing more than that. But we're all in such a hurry. I know I'm I'm I know that that was a big component for me because I feel especially as an educator I'm constantly aware of time. Like I have 50 minutes Monday, Wednesday and Friday like to get all this content in and I get I find myself every once in a while noticing I'm rushing. I'm rushing students and their responses. I'm rushing myself and I know that those gaps where if I had just waited a few seconds longer, I might've gotten an even deeper, richer response from, from people. And I'm all about truly trying to understand where people are coming from. We are deaf. We may not agree, but I really want to get into the mindset where when you come into my office or if you're made an appointment to meet with me, you know, that for X amount of time, you have my undivided attention. And that makes a huge difference. So when you, someone's made an appointment with you and you, they get your undivided attention, what is it, what is it that you do to make sure that that happens? Is it how your space are prepared? What you do with, do you have a ritual for your mind? What is it that supports the, your ability to be able to do that? I think cognitively, I just set myself up for this, this mantra, like this, you have my undivided attention. You have my undivided attention. Nothing else is more important in this moment than you. That's it. That's it. So simple, but not always simple. It takes practice. <laughs> yeah, right. It's in theory. Yeah, that, that sounds great, but it really takes a lot of practice and energy. And that's when I'm teaching my active listening class, you know, that's the, the component that I am always reminding my students. It sounds so, so simple, right? It's the reason why we only devote listening for a chapter in a presentational speaking class, because we think it's so simple, but it actually takes some energy, right? Concentrated effort and energy to be full, that kind of fully present, like empowered listening is about knowing that you are devoting your energies to simply showing up for that person and not 
focusing on anything else other than what that person is sharing with you and your and probably your responses too but for the most part it really is trying to achieve full understanding how do you know when that you've had full understanding well so some of the some of the examples like i know that at three o'clock i have a meeting with a student and i sometimes you I don't always know, but I will ask for clarification. Does it sound like, and I'll maybe paraphrase or I'll say, you know, does this sound right to you? And I'll say, you know, you said X, Y, and Z. And my interpretation was, you know, A, B, and D was, you know, asking for clarification. Like, was that right? Or is that accurate? Is that correct? And hopefully they'll tell me, you know, yeah, that that's, you know, you're paraphrasing Dr. Varner, but yeah, that's basically the gist of it. But, you know, if it's a deeper conversation, let's say, you know, this person's like, well, I voted this way and you voted that way. We might not achieve full understanding by the end of a conversation, but hopefully if it's a, if it's a relationship, like an ongoing relationship, I care about this person, they care about me. That's a lifetime kind of a, a journey. It may be that I think that I've achieved full understanding and then I come to find out, you know, maybe they were just being polite or their perception of being polite and not correcting me, uh, allowing me, you know, but it really, it really goes down to, you know, what, what's the purpose of this relationship? What's the goal ultimately in this conversation? I think that's a really important question because often I think the traditional type of listening is, you know, listening, well, also to understand or for content, you know, so that I can take it and do something with it. But actually what you just said right now, that's, it's also, you know, is this here about being, trying to find out more information or am I here to build this relationship and to connect with this person? You know, what, there, and there's a lot of other reasons, but what is my intention in this situation? And that really makes a difference sometimes on, on how we approach it. It might go back to that 199, <laughs> 199. <laughs> yeah, the 99-1 rule. Yeah. The 99 one. Okay. <laughs> One percent of it is you and you just happen to show up. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. So the question is, what, what is it? Is it about the 99 or is it about the one? <laughs> Where is it? <laughs> or 99.8. Who knows? You know, I had my first in-person class on Monday. That since I had, it's been a while since we had an in-person class for one of the classes that I teach. It's a, it's an international management class. And we had, I think, I think there were about 13, 14 students there. Not all of them were able to come because there's many students from other countries and they don't, they have to get their visas. I'm in Germany. And, but we had, we had students from China, from Portugal, from Zimbabwe, from Morocco, besides Germany. So it was really a mix. Everybody speaking English was their second language and everyone had an accent. And when it, so I'm co-teaching that class. My my colleague, she's Spanish and has lived in, lived in Germany for many years. And, and then there's me. And we went around to having the students introduce themselves and we took our time to do that. But what we realized is that, you know, with all the different accents and now because of the spacing, we're more spread out in the classroom that we had to ask them to project their voice. I'm sure I don't normally do that, but I'm like, okay, project your voice and speak to the person in the room that's farthest away, at least. So at least you know that they hear you. 
And we had to often ask them to repeat themselves for clarification because of the different accents and because of some of the students wearing their masks, even if they were sitting down, because usually you can take your mask off if you're sitting down, but some kept them on. And the mask also gets in the way of understanding the person. So I'm telling you this in terms of understanding because Paula and I were talking, we're like, you know, actually it was really good in this class for us to have to ask some students even three or four times to repeat themselves to show that it's okay to let them know you didn't understand. And it's okay to ask them to say it again. It's okay to do that. Because I don't know if we always feel like it's okay, especially when we're with people from different cultures. Do we, you know, do we say something or not? We're kind of shy, but it's okay. And if we can get okay with letting people know we're not sure if we understood and to ask, I think that would help save a lot of the miscommunication that's happening. But often we're, we're afraid to say something. Yeah, I can totally relate and understand <laughs> with that scenario. It happened actually on might have been it was either Monday or, or Friday uh, one of my classes it's a presentational speaking class and we have a number of students with very thick accents thick accents yes and in a presentational speaking class there are a number of them number of these students who have already indicated self-disclosed that they like this is their least favorite class. They're terrified. They have high performance speaking anxiety. And the masks further prohibit them, especially me, and I'm trying to grade them from, he you know, hearing what they have to say. And I, what I offered to the entire group, because uh, there's this one, there's actually three students where, Raquel, oh my gosh, I, I am still practicing. I've tried to write out their names phonetically, you know, I'm like spelling it out in different ways that sounds like when I see it on a piece of paper. To create an environment, and this is what I said to the group, I said, we have got to get to a place where we are okay asking for people that we do not understand to please repeat what they have said until we are comfortable saying it ourselves. And, and that's really what it is about, you know, kind of like destigmatizing the idea that in order to be right with others, that you just pretend that you're right or know what they said. I mean, like, that's like the antithesis of what every communication professor would say. Like, you know, every community, why do we even need your discipline? Well, don't you think it would be in your best interest to effectively communicate with others? And at, at some point, if you don't understand what somebody has said, don't pretend, don't make it up, just ask for help. Like where, where in the world did we, you know, and I think it's a lot of it is just like, I don't know if this is more of an American you know, kind of a socialist, we've socialized each other to not ask for help. Or the other, the other one, and I'm just going to put this out there. The other idea of being vulnerable and that when we cry, we apologize. It Stop. Why are you apologizing for that's Your body is having a natural reaction. Acknowledge it. I'm, there are tears coming out of my eyes. I am asking you to repeat something because I want to fully understand. 
that's the strength. That's the courage. Like it is okay to say, can you repeat your name? I know we have done, this is week four, but I really, really want to get it right. That's important to me. I would rather risk you thinking or, or making up that there's something wrong with me. Like I have a learning disability because I've asked you so many times and you might think that I should, but I am more concerned about getting it right than being embarrassed that I'm getting it wrong. Yeah. You know, those are those things like I, I was thinking even in the business world when people were having meetings and stuff, you know, and people don't understand people are, you know, like you don't want to ask, I'm sorry, I didn't understand you. Can you repeat that? You know, and everybody's back to this busy, right? And then so much happens and so much happens. And I think what the, this part, what you said about the emotional component that, you know, sometimes we're afraid to ask because what if tears show up, <laughs> but you don't just for anybody who's listening and you're worried about this, you don't have to do anything. You just have to be present. You don't have to hand them a tissue. You don't have to, you just say, Hey, it's okay. Just let it out <laughs> because it will always get better after. <laughs> It's just an emotional release, you know, and people are strong. People who are crying, we think they're weak, but they're actually very strong. It's just coming out and all, you know, so the best thing to do is say, Hey, it's okay. Just take your time and be there. Well, you know what I'm going to say to that, right? What? I'm a huge Brene Brown fan. So I have to get her into this somehow, but one of her, she's got many, many, many quotes, but you know, she's the researcher on, on shame and vulnerability. And she says, you know, courage is born out of vulnerability, not strength. Right. And I'm always when I see people that are struggling, you know, just to be their true authentic self and are, are maybe embarrassed, you know, when when their body, quote unquote, betrays and actually reveals how vulnerable they are. The acknowledgement of who they are to me is more courageous than anything. And those are the people like, ah, oh, I want them on my team. Yeah. <laughs> That's I can nice. work with, I can, I can work with this person. Like I can work with this student. Like this is good. This is okay. We're going to be fine. Yeah. Well, I was thinking when you, when you went, go back to the story of when you were listening, you first discovered uh, listening with the heart <laughs> and you had, then now we're going to go to now. And by you saying that, that is partly how, that's how you bring that into working with your team, with people around you. This is my interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You are listening with your big heart, Terry. <laughs> and it's big. My whole heart. My whole heart. Your right? whole heart. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I really you, do. I try to. Yeah, I really do. You, you do. You know, if you, you know, in, in all the work that you've done in communication with listening, you know, because, because you work in communication. So the, like you said, the listening sometimes just had a chapter. Now you have a class, which is really cool. <laughs> a step, a step bigger. <laughs> so we'll see what more happens. But when you, when, you know, people are very worried about, you know, like public speaking and, and expressing themselves and communicating, what would you say in relation to the importance of listening in relating, in relation to finding their voice or speaking with more power. I'm glad you asked that question. Something unique has happened this semester that I was totally unplanned. So I happen to be teaching in Carter Auditorium here at St. Edwards, and it is the largest classroom that I could find. I think it seats something like 144 people, right? This is because I wanted to have the students, the 
you know, if they wanted to socially distance in the class, they absolutely can do that, right? What, what I didn't realize to answer your question was how powerful it is for me to give a lecture with the microphone on. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is when you can hear your own, the sound of your own voice just bellowing through an auditorium, one of two things happen. Again, this idea of time. I found myself speaking slower and more precisely, like the vocal fillers, they are not there. You know how Amer- Americans are notorious for being uncomfortable with silence and we like to fill it with vocal disfluencies like ums and ah. Uh, I don't do that anymore when I have the microphone on. And it's because I am now more conscious, cognizant of how my voice is resonating throughout the room and with my students. And it has made me think about what I am about to say next. I hope I, I hope at the end of the semester, I get like these glowing, (laughs) glowing student evaluations because I, I wasn't aware of how my voice sounded before. I've, I've never given lectures. I've been, I've been teaching at St. Edward's for, I think this is my 14th, 14 years. I'm going on 14 years. And it wasn't until this semester that I was aware of how much I have in terms of controlling. I would just, I was just thinking, I'm just lecturing. Now I'm aware of how the quality of my lecture is coming across to my students because of the microphone, because it is like, literally, I can, it's like, oh, don't say the wrong thing. I mean, what also is even, even with a mask on, I can say things right into the microphone, just, you know, just softly whispering it. And it's still, no matter whether it's loud or soft, everybody in the room can hear it. And I just had that realization right now when you asked me that question. You know, I think, you know, it's interesting to, to experience listening to our voices. You know, I, I'm just thinking out loud that that was part of your experience and, and to, because often, you know, we don't like to hear our own voice, right? But at the same time, maybe it's actually a way to, when we start to really listen to, to ourselves, to the words that we say, then we can become more intentional with what we're saying. And that can also help our audience to understand us better. And, you know, that's one thing with also starting this podcast, you know, listening to my voice. I was like, Ugh. but actually I've come to enjoy, <laughs> I mean, it's not always just my, but I, I enjoy listening to these podcasts, not, it's not just me, but also these interviews. I always learn so much and like, I'll go back and listen to some like, oh yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, that's nice. And it's not like I'm listening thinking, oh, that's horrible, you know? And I'm wondering right now, I don't know if there's been any research on this, but I wonder if we take some time to listen to our own voice, and whether it's through recording ourselves or, or other ways. There's probably actors that know this better. Um, <laughs> if What it does to us, if it helps us, if that does help us to speak better, I'm sure it does. Oh, yeah. There's, I'm like, oh, yeah, there's a ton of research on that, right? That's, okay. that's one of the reasons why 
We encourage students to watch the recordings of their speeches. Look at what you're doing. Look at where your hands are, how you're positioned, the facial expressions that you're making that you might have been unaware of. But my point with the example of being amplified um, for me was a, a, a really rare and unique experience because in real time, I became even more, you're talking, you use the word intentionality. I do not, I have in the past not liked how my voice has been recorded or, you know, like when you first said podcast, I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. it." I hate, I've hated the sound of my recorded voice, but in this example of going to a podium and it being amplified, I recognized that I was, I was, I had the power to shape the quality and the sound of my voice. And it's, this not, it sound, might sound really egotistical, but really when you think about, and this is what I share with my students in presentational speaking, one of the most powerful tools that human beings have is the voice. Like more, you know, yes, written communication is important too, but more so than anything, when you are going to give voice to what you have written, that's the power of oral communication, right? That's the power of your, of speech. And before human beings, you know, started to learn how to write, they were speaking. We were speaking culture first, heavily speaking culture. And when you, when you, decide that I'm going to take ownership, that I have control over the quality and the sound of my voice, then giving speeches or making presentations might not seem as daunting as it would have otherwise. Yeah, that's great food for thought. And if I must say, I'd like to just bring, I was just thinking as you're speaking about your voice, not only how you project it or the sound of your voice, but what you were talking about, putting words to your speech. Um, I experienced this in you as you received the Outstanding Educator Award for the, from the ILA this past year. And your speech that you gave really moved me. And what, I, what really moved me, I thought, oh, wow, Terry... You know, here's an opportunity to give voice to what's really important. And and you took that stage and you shared yourself authentically with emotion, with all these things that you've talked about in this podcast, with what mattered to you. And you gave voice to, I felt like it was like giving voice to your soul. I don't know how you experienced it. And I thought, you know, I don't do that often enough. I do a good job of listening to people, but I'm just starting to know, to get it, get used to really giving voice to these, to, to who I am in a, in a bigger way. And that's something that's new. And I, and so I take you as a role model because you did that in a beautiful way. And it was, like I said, authentic, sincere with power. And it was really nice. Thank you. I, if we were in the room, I would give you a big hug right now. Um, (laughs) It was, I knew that it was going to be a big moment. I was totally, un, it was an unexpected, complete surprise of a, an award. And when I wrote the speech, I wrote it thinking that if, if I never had another opportunity to address this group of people, 
this is what I would want to say. I tried to shorten it, but I, it just wasn't, it wasn't working. It is what it is. It's like it's, it's, it's in the past now. And, and so your, your words to me now still mean a, a great deal. So I, I say, thank I say, thank you very, very much for your, your kind words. Mm-hmm. Well, your well, that talk actually, I said thought to myself, okay, next time I'm in a situation like that, I'm gonna remember this <laughs> and take it more seriously, or you know, I don't know if take it more seriously, but to to approach it in a in a much in a another way. So, yeah. Well, you know, I have an expression that I it's called speaking truth to power. You might have heard of you know people have been using this, but when you get an opportunity. To use your voice, use your voice, Raquel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and part of it, part of that though, is also being able to listen to my voice. Not only, and I'm not talking about the sound, but I'm talking about the words that want to come out and what really matters. And so it's um, there's a lot of that listening piece is really important, so that when when we speak, that we speak in our truth. I guess it's that's part of what that is, right? But in a way that's you know inclusive, <laughs> that really take that takes in the whole group, and that's what I felt. So, so Terry, we've had our conversation has gone in all directions. Is there anything else that you would like to, a question that you would like me to ask, or something else you would like to share with our audience? I would reiterate again the sentiment of speaking truth to power. If you have a voice, make sure that you use it to its full potential. I can't imagine how I would function if I lost my ability to speak. Um, I know, I know fundamentally that that is one of the the greatest gifts that I have been given um, as a human being. It's the reason why I am an educator. It's the reason why I'm specifically a communication professor, that my ability to use my voice with the, with the thoughts and the ideas that are running around, you know, in this body that I've been, I've been given by the grace of God, God, goddess is, is one of the lasting marks that I have. And I try to convey that. And and every time that I teach a class with all of my students, especially those who are serving in marginalized communities and even allies, you know, that that we all have a responsibility to one another. We are running out of our natural resources. We know this. And I know that economics plays a huge factor in this. And even though it might not seem fair I, I think everybody should at least speak up and fight for what is right and just. We're here to listen to each other so those voices are received, right? That's the other thing. No, <laughs> so you got to slip listening in there somewhere. Yeah. got to slip listening in and there somewhere. And then we, must, with, we need to listen to each other with our full hearts. Full for sure. That's right. <laughs> to give the power to the voice. <laughs> Uh, Terry, it's been such a a pleasure to have you on this podcast and thank you for all your wisdom. (laughs) Oh, you bet. You bet. Anytime. (laughs) This was, this was a blast. I hope we get to do it again sometime. I'm sure. I'm sure. I am your host, Raquel Ark from Listening Alchemy, and I hope you are inspired by this episode of Listen In. 
and find one person today to practice your listening superpower. Please subscribe and like this podcast and share it with others so we can catalyze a listening movement together. A big thank you to Evo Tiemann for producing the music and Cecilia Mercado for getting this podcast set up. Find more information at www.listeningalchemy.com. Enjoy listening in. Enjoy listening in.